Hi, welcome to the Newberry Chronicles. This is a podcast in which two readers go through the Newberry medal-winning books and then talk about them. I'm Michael. And I'm Rebecca. And this time on the Newberry Chronicles, we are talking about The Tale of Despero, uh, which was published in 2003, um, won the 2004 Newberry Medal. But first, before we start, don't forget that if you have thoughts, comments, uh, about the, the the podcast, if you're out there, listeners, we know there's a there's a maybe a dozen of you at least. Um, and you have if you have thoughts, we have an email address: newberrychronicles at gmail.com. Newberry with one R because it just couldn't be easy to have two R's. Um, anyway, Tale of Despero this week. Uh, you've read this before, right, Rebecca. Yes, I have. I read it when I was a kid. I can't remember how old I was. Um, but obviously, were at least 13. Yeah, so probably older than her targeted audience, but I really enjoyed it. Well, I think it's safe to say that we're both older than her target yeah. audience now. <laughs> um, but uh, that's all right. That's not stopping us. Um, I'll start by talking about Miss Kate DeCamillo. Yes. Is that how you pronounce her name? It's that's how I pronounce DeCamillo. it. I pronounce DeCam- it DeCamillo. DeCamillo. Okay. Come on. Um, anyway, so Kate DeCamillo, uh, she was born in Philadelphia in 1964, and then she moved to Florida when she was pretty young, five, um, because she had like respiratory issues related to pneumonia, and uh, her parents thought that the warmer climate would do her good. Uh, I read an interview with her where she said that she was old enough that they were still prescribing geographic cures, and I just thought, yeah. isn't that nice, you know, yeah. like used to be when you were sick, they told you, take a vacation by the seaside. Go, go, yeah, that's what I was uh, going to say. Go, I mean, I guess if seaside. you weren't, like, you know, a child laborer in a factory or something like that. But, yeah. you know, um, it was nice. So she got to move to Florida. She stayed there through her adult life. Um, went to, was it the University of Florida, I believe, in Gainesville? Yeah. Is that what's there? Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I guess her uh, pneumonia had cleared up by the time she was an adult because... Um, when she was in her, I guess she was 30, she moved to Minneapolis. So this was in 1994 um, because a friend had moved up there. And uh, she began working in uh, a book warehouse called The Bookman, um, which I, I don't know why. It's, I, that sounds weird to me. I don't know why. I think it's because there's a Seinfeld character named Bookman who's a librarian. But anyway, in 1994, I don't know if that episode had aired yet. Um, but anyway, um, she was initially put on the children's floor of that warehouse, like the, the floor where they kept the children's books. And she said that she was really disappointed by that because she wanted to work with big old grown up books, uh, cause she was older than the target audience of these books as well. And, um, but eventually she just started like picking up the books that, uh, she had to stock and, uh, started really falling in love with them and, uh, started writing some short stories, um, for, I think for children, but also for adults, maybe. Um, and uh, as a result of some of the success that she uh, built writing the short stories, won a grant in 1998 that allowed her to, I think, write full-time on her first novel, which ended up being um, Because of Winn-Dixie. Um, but she didn't know how to pitch books um, and uh, didn't know how to approach publishers or anything like that. And so uh, she received quite a bit of rejection for a while, um, 473 rejection letters on her. I don't know if it, that was just for because of Winn-Dixie or if she had another unpublished novel before that, but regardless, 
it's always nice to look and see like all the rejection letters people get because it means that um, there's still hope. There's there's still hope for those of us who have gotten 472 rejection letters. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, eventually, what happened? Apparently, this is according again to an interview I read is that. Um, some uh, salesperson for a publishing house walked into the bookman, I guess, to pick up an order or something. And she just approached that person and was like, hey, I have a manuscript, but I don't know what to do with it. Um, can you, you know, how do I the, uh, uh, you know, get your publisher to, to read my book? And so then that kind of like started the process. And then in the year 2000, I believe, was when, um, because of when Dixie was, published, which was a Newbery Honor book. Should have been a winner. (laughs) I don't know. What happened in 2000? Maybe it was a... It's another really good book. I already looked it up because I was upset. Oh. Well, um, regardless, she has plenty of uh, love from the Newbery Society, Mm -hmm. Newbery Council, whatever they're called. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's one of only a handful of authors who have won two Newbery medals, uh, one for this time, uh, Tale of Desperate, another for a book that I'm not familiar with, but it's called Flora and Ulysses, The Illuminated Adventures. Uh, anyway, she's still living in Minneapolis. As far as I know, she's not touched the state of Connecticut, so uh, right, she's breaking the mold. <laughs> yeah. uh, I specifically looked, I went on a Wikipedia page and went Control-F Connecticut and mm-hmm. got zero results. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, that's, uh, that's the author. Rebecca, tell us about... The yeah. Tale of Desperiox. Before, before I talk about the book, I just want to say that I um, had read Kate to Camelot before. I've read Tale of Despero, and I have read Because of Winn-Dixie. Um, I think that I've read Tiger Rising, too, because it's on my bookshelf, which makes me think that I read it, but I cannot remember it. That which was also an honor, if I'm remembering correctly. She's somewhat of a superstar. Like she is a superstar. There's not that many like household and names in children's literature, but she's definitely one of the living ones. She is, and so um, I I was really excited to reread this book. I think that she's great. I do I do love because of Win Dixie. That's one of my favorite books, and the movie adaptation is really really good. Um, also, just a sweet thing about Kate is that when Beverly Clary died a few years ago, she wrote this beautiful tribute to her. On, she, Kate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it was so sweet, and I shared it on my Facebook because it made me cry. So anyway, we love her. She's great. Oh, anecdotally, um, I have a friend from college who became a bookseller in New York and met Kate the Camelot <gasps> several times, and so she was very nice. That's so exciting. So. I'm glad that she was nice in real life because she's delightful. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about this book. So this book is complicated, um, but it's beautifully complicated in that all of the details build on each other. So I've, I've written a long summary, and if I need to speed it along, you just give me a cue. Okay. I'll do like, yeah. Jarvis, is, our son, has been watching uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas, <laughs> and there's that scene, uh, kind of long, long little bit where Charlie Brown is giving direction, stage directions. Mm-hmm. So I'll make that motion with my hand that okay. he talks about if we need to speed up the pace. Okay. So this book is made um, up of four different books that tell different character stories that all are connected to one another. So the first book is called A Mouse Was Born, and that's where you learn about Despero Tilling's birth. So he is a mouse with very large ears. He's born with his eyes open, which is abnormal. Mice are usually born blind, and he loves reading. 
especially this story about a knight saving a princess and living happily ever after. I just want to point out if everyone... This is going to make the summary longer, but keep going. Well, I haven't yet made the signal okay. to pick up the pace, so I figured it was okay to interject. Go ahead. Um, the uh, Despero apparently just intuits how to read. Like, he looks yeah. at a page and the story pops into his head. I think if everyone had that experience reading, we'd have a lot more people who loved reading. We so would. Well, if you're listening, other... God, ideas for uh, your next uh, innovation on humanity. The other thing that is abnormal about that is most of the mice eat books and they eat the paste, I think, or the binding, something about them eating books, but instead he's like actually reading them. So everybody's always like, oh, that Despero. A voracious so reader, weird. you could say. Yes, they're, they're embarrassed of him, like he's an outcast. Well, one day he hears this lovely music and he follows it until he meets the Princess P and King Philip. He looks at Did the. Did you say that he was born in a castle? He lives no. in a castle. Yes, sorry. That's, That's pretty where all important. the mice live. That's pretty important. This whole book takes, well, the majority of the book takes place in this castle. Um, sorry. Anyway, he falls in love with the princess and he speaks to them, which is like a forbidden thing for mice to speak to humans. Um, his brother finds out about it and rats him out, if you will. There are rats in this there castle as well. There are rats. They, come, they feature prominently here in a bit. The next book, actually. Anyway, uh, there's this mouse council, and his father is on that council, and the council um, sentences him to go to the dungeon, which is basically a death sentence because mice are eaten by rats who live in the dungeon. Um, when he gets down there, he meets Gregory the Jailer, which I have lots of things to say about later, later, oh, later, later. It will come. Gregory. I know. Okay, but I, I can't raw deal. I can't get ahead of myself because I have lots to unpack there. Um anyway, he meets Gregory, um, who is the jailer, and he craves light of any kind. And so he asks Despero to tell him a story. Um he says stories are light. Because stories are light. Ugh, Gregory. Anyway, so Despero tells him the story that he's been reading about the knight and the princess. And um that saves his life because he is not eaten by the rats. So, anyway, then we take a break from Despero. We get to the second book, which is Chiaroscuro. Um, and this book tells a story. We go back in time. This story tells us about a rat named Chiaroscuro, who goes by Roscuro. Um, and one day, he starts... Um, the thing you need to know about rats is they love darkness. They live in the dungeon. They love darkness. They know the dungeon like no one else. Um, and they're, like, evil, Inherently. Just, just innately. It's very just, odd. Yeah, there, anyway, we're getting to the, we'll get to all that. Um, there's a lot about the dungeon I have to unpack. Regardless, um, one day he starts chewing through Gregory's rope, and Gregory's like, nobody chews through my rope, and he um, picks up the rat and lights a match in his face. And at that point, Roscuro craves the light. Like, he is, it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I, I do want to interject to say the reason why Gregory doesn't want his rope chewed on is because the yes. dungeon is a labyrinth and he would become lost if he wasn't tied to the entrance. Yes, sorry. That, these are important interjections. I just, in all my summaries, I just took that there's for a, granted that you would know those to... things. But yes, and all of that, you know, builds on top of one another. So thank you. Um, anyway, so Roscuro one day escapes from the dungeon, goes to the castle. And he sees all this beauty in the ballroom. Um, he climbs on the chandelier and he's looking at things. Um, 
another thing to know is the queen loves soup. Um, she just loves soup, so the chef makes soup of all kinds. Well, Roscuro is leaning down. He falls from the chandelier and lands in the queen's bowl of soup. Um, she says something very obvious, like there's a rat in the soup. Because the only thing that we know about the queen is she says obvious things. Yes, and she loves soup. <laughs> oh, yeah, those are the two character qualities she's given in the whole book. She's dead most of the book. Yes. So anyway, and then she falls dead. Um, is it meant to be that she's dead from shock or... I guess. I really... I would be shocked if a rat fell into my soup. It's Yes, it's unclear. Maybe she had some pre-existing conditions that we don't know about. But regardless. Um, at that point... Roscuro looks at Princess P, who is looking at him and gives him this glare. And that glare and the knowledge of what the princess feels about him breaks his heart. And when his heart is broken, he vows revenge. Um, the king outlaws soup and rats and anything that goes along with soup. So bowls, spoons, pots that you would make soup in, everything. Um, and that ends book two. Book three. I will say, like, it's interesting later on in the book, it does mention that they could have stews or things like that. And I wonder, like, do they not eat stew with um, with spoons? Maybe it's really thick stew that they can have with a spork. I don't know. I didn't remember that detail. But, yeah, I don't know. Or maybe with bread. Stop it off Oh, that's bread. true. That, like the Ethiopian restaurant yeah. that all of our friends were traumatized yeah. by. Yeah, no need. No need for spoons. Um, okay, so then we get to book, uh, book number three which is the tale of Miguri Sal, who is another character I have lots to unpack about. Um, but when we meet her, she's a six-year-old girl who witnesses the death of her mother. Um, we also know she is named after her father's prize pig. Um, she witnesses the death of her mother, and then she's sold by her father for cigarettes, a hen, and a red tablecloth to a man that she calls Uncle. Uncle is very abusive. Um, he clouts her ears, which leaves her partially deaf, and her ears are shaped like cauliflower. Um, one day, when she's at Uncle's, Mig sees the royal family pass by, and she's just in awe of the princess, and that's her deepest dream, um, to be a princess. A while later, after the queen dies, um, the king's soldiers come to Uncle's home and they take his spoons and his pots and everything and they find out that he technically owns Mig. So they say, well, you're not allowed to own somebody, so we're going to take her to the castle and she'll work there as a servant. The so, only people who can own people are Okay, the, we're going to get to it. We, we're going to get to it. We have lots to unpack. Um, so anyway, they take her there. Um, I lost. Sorry. Um, well, she goes down to the dungeon. Yes, she's very incompetent at the castle, and eventually the only job they give her um, is to go down to the dungeon to take Gregory the jailer his lunch. Um, this is a job that nobody wants. This is a job that has led to the death of servants before. Um, but Mig is... She, she can't hear, and so she, she doesn't really know all of she, this. She can't hear, and there's also... Um, like, she's, she's portrayed in this book also as dumb. Like, not just handicapped, but also Yeah, they dumb. use... What is which, it that they keep saying? She's not the sharpest knife in the drawer not, or something Right, like she's... That. Yes, which they also say about the king. Um, but anyway... So anyway, she goes down to the dungeon um, where she meets Roscuro. 
and she tells him about her dream to be a princess. In that same interchange, Despero is given to Mig in a handkerchief by Gregory to return to the upstairs of the castle, um, which I think is, is Gregory's way of repaying Despero for bringing him light, for telling him a story. Um, anyway, Roscuro convinces Mig throughout this interchange to help him kidnap Princess P., and he tells her that she's going to kidnap the princess so that the princess can learn how to be a servant like Mig, and Mig can take her place and be a princess. Um, then we get to the final book, which is called Recalled to the Light. And we find oh, out that's that... a long paragraph. I'm going to make sorry. a little uh, no, Charlie Brown gesture. If you quit interrupting, we'd be done. I'm just kidding. I don't think I would be. I'm just or kidding. Just get it. There's a lot. I'm going to get a cookie while you're... In this book. <laughs> okay. Well, Despero has overheard this whole conversation. Mig kidnaps the princess and takes her to the dungeon. The next morning, the guards search the castle, and they find that Gregory, the, the jailer, has died in the dungeon because Roscuro has chewed through his rope, which led him to get lost in the dungeon in the mazes and dies. Um... Despero, in this long chain of events that I'm not going to explain, is covered in flour. He tries to get to the dungeon to rescue Princess P. In the process, he sees the Mouse Council, who had sentenced him to death. They think he's a ghost. His father is, like, deeply um, depressed over the part that he has played, like, in, in Despero's murder. Because his father is on the council. Yeah, we, so, we already said that. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe some people were taking listen. a cookie break while you were <laughs> saying that. Anyway... Um, his father begs his forgiveness. He forgives him. Um, and then he also runs into Cook, who is so distressed that she's breaking the law and she's making soup. And even though she hates mice and she tried to kill Despero a little earlier, she offers him some, which detail comes into play later. So when Despero gets to the dungeon, Roscuro smells the soup, which reminds him of light and the castle and everything he craves. And he... It, is moved by that. P has compassion on him, and she promises him that if he lets them go, she'll treat him to soup when they get upstairs. At the end of the book, book Roscuro and Despero are both kind of allowed free range of the castle. Mig is actually reunited. What? No. Oh, sorry. Mig is actually reunited with her father, who we actually learned earlier in the book has been imprisoned in the dungeon, and he treats her like a princess the rest of her life. And that is the tale of Despero. It's like the end of Ratatouille. Yeah. Because people have food and it changes yeah. their lives. It, it moves their hearts, which I, I deeply understand. I do too. I Soup is good too. I think soup, soup is, is an so under, good. Soup's an underrated dish. And I love that that is the is the dish that is so featured in this book, which people, yeah. It's yeah, like, it sounds pretty good too. It's like a chicken soup that's like creamy and has watercress and... Garlic. Garlic. They, they describe it several times. It sounds good. Um, anyway, um, you tell me what you liked about this book. Well, I had... And no- this... this Dear listeners, is um, kind of a change of pace because Michael and I have barely talked to each other about our experiences with this book, which usually when we come to the podcast we have. So I'm eager to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, this is straight straight off the dome. Um, so this is the first time I've read this book. Um, there was a movie that came out 
Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, this, this Which book I probably has actually would not been have... turned into a movie, a play, and a video game. Is the video game the tie-in with the, the movie, or is it separate? I have no idea. I can and imagine... I never saw the movie, I don't know. I didn't see the movie either, but that's the only reason I know that this book exists, um, besides it being Newbery Medal winner, because... Anyway, that's how I knew it was a book, is by seeing the trailers for the movie. And I have not read any Kate DeCamelo books either, um, even though I've known who she is for quite some time, uh, just because she's famous. But um, I liked this book. Um, so there's a few things that I liked about it. First of all, um, the the book is kind of like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compare it to... Um, you know, what, what readers will know is one of our favorite books that we've read so far, which mm-hmm. is A Gathering of Days, uh, the, very, the very boring book. <laughs> and I don't mean this in a negative way, but A Gathering of Days is the oh other gosh. book that we've read that is trying to appear as if it is older than it is. Yeah. Because it is written in a style that yes. is like a pastiche of an older type of literature. Um, and this is that too. This is trying to be like, Maybe a children's book from like the late 19th century or something like that. Um, and by which I mean um, the narrative voice is very intrusive and kind of playful, directly addressing the readers a bunch. You know, like uh, this is not a children's book from the late 19th century, but like Jane Eyre, you know, has that really famous quote, like, reader, I married him. And there's a bunch of that. There's a bunch of reader, comma, and yeah. then a declarative sentence. Um, there's a bunch of kind of like, you know, just. Just, just fun little narrative asides about like kind of cozy, coziness and like like we've already mentioned soup and uh, it feels very much like um, uh, like a a book that like a like a George MacDonald book or like a, I'm trying to think of other authors but like that era of children's literature um, except maybe without the really some of those have really heavy-handed morals, and yeah. this doesn't really have that. Um, it's got a little bit of that, but um, also the packaging of the book is like that as well. So, like the pages, um, if you've ever seen an, an old book, you know where um, people used to have to take scissors and cut them open. Um, uh, that's like what this looks like. Um, it also has illustrations that are in the style of like old children's books illustrations, where the illustration will have like a quote from the page that is looking at underneath. Um, and it's like, it's all in this like kind of like, um, well, I think actually the style is chiaroscuro, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Are you serious? That's so I'm, funny. I, I, I don't know for a fact. But anyway, oh, I hope so. this has, so this has a lot going for it in just the sense of like a kind of nostalgic connection because I read books like this growing yeah. up. Um, also, I, I think it's like just, it's very fun. Um, because it has this kind of like playful, almost like fairy tale esque style, um, that allows it to have these kind of like funny asides, and it's not a particularly complex story in the sense of characterizations. Like the characters are all very sketch, sketch very broadly but memorably, right? And so mm-hmm. you have that kind of like the king or the queen. We only know like a few character qualities about each of them, uh, but they're funny and interesting, like and and slightly absurd, like the fact that. When the queen dies eating soup, the thing that gets outlawed is soup rather than, you know, I don't know what would have saved the queen, but, you know, maybe cleaner uh, sanitation in the castle to get rid of rats or something. I don't know. Um, But uh, you have that kind of like gently absurd touch to it that I think is really fun. Um, And also, I think that the structure is really interesting, too, because, Mm -hmm. like, you keep pulling back 
it's almost like I'm going to compare it to another book that actually was one of our favorites is Holes. Mm -hmm. It's like Holes in a lot of ways um, in that um, there's a lot of moving parts that end up kind of kind of like almost like machine like get or, or like a puzzle get like put together because for a while like you're reading about Despero and you're like okay it's a story about Despero then all of a sudden you're in like the second book and you're reading about this rat and you're like why am I learning about this rat and then eventually it comes together like why this rat is connected it's much tighter in terms of like time frame and ambition than holes but uh it still has that same quality of like things fitting together um the last thing I'll say I there's other things I liked about the book but I'm sure you'll bring stuff up uh, Rebecca, but um, I will say that, like in the style of being an old book, uh, we have not actually read the full title of this novel. Oh, that's true. Which is the tale of Despero being the story of a mouse, a princess, some soup, and a spool of thread. Uh, and it's always fun how older books have longer titles than they need to have. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Rebecca, tell yes. us about uh, what you like. I agree with all those things. Um, I really just loved how every single detail and piece of the story works really well together. And one small one I'll mention is that uh, early in the book, when, when Mig actually first meets Princess P outside of like the time she saw her driving by uncle's house, when she first meets her in the castle, um, her job is to take the princess um, some red thread that um, she's working on some tapestry. I can't remember what her project was. That's unimportant. But um, P says something like, I don't know why all my red thread goes missing. It's just always going missing. And you find out that red thread is what the mice use to, like, tie around the mice's neck. The mice? Mice? Mice. Whatever. Their necks. (laughs) To take them down into the dungeon. So they use... So, I don't know, it's just all those little pieces work really well together, and there's not a lot of, like, wasted detail in this book, which I really appreciate. I really like how committed she is to her form. Um, I I love Kate DeCamelo's storytelling. She tells such a good story. I think her prose is great. Her plot development is great. Um, I like the narrative voice in this book. At, at sometimes I was like, am I tired of this yet? But I wasn't. You know, I think... It, it's done well, like the dear reader. Um, I like how she'll give you little insights, um, little detached perspectives, and then get right back into the story. I just think she does that very well. I love the themes. Um, you get themes of love and forgiveness and light and dark, obviously. Um, there is this theme of freedom versus captivity that's like floating around there. Um, I'd like to see that more developed, which I'll talk about and what I didn't like. Um, and I love that this is one detail I left out because there's, I gave you every single detail in the book except this one. Just kidding. But I do love that all throughout the book you find out that Mig will express what she wants to people that are supposed to care for her and, you know, love her or, or just listen to her. And every time she's like, well, we don't, every time they're, they're, she's told, who asked you what you wanted. And no one has asked her what she's wanted. Um, no one has, you know, really tried to see that. And in the end, when she's in the dungeon with the princess, that's what she asks her, what do you want? Um, and that that question really breaks kind of the spell that Roscuro has had over Mig and kind of leads to all their rescue. So I think that's a really beautiful part of the book. Um 
And Michael mentioned this, but I really love the copy of this book that I have. The book, the, the copy that we read is actually the one that I had as a kid and, um, you know, just still own. I always thought, Michael's right, that the way the pages are is like, like made to, to look like old books. But in my head, it was always to be like the pages that the mice had eaten. So maybe it's both, but I don't it know. Could be. It could be both. I just remember getting really excited getting this book. I can't remember if my parents got it for me or I bought it for myself. I really can't remember. But I always remember being really excited. It was like, even if I don't like the story, I really like the book. It looks cool. It is. So, like, it's a really nice, it's yeah, a really nice copy with, like, edition. dust jacket and everything. Yeah. yeah, like, it's... Oh, also, like, it's got the whole... This is impossible to describe well in a podcast, but, like, when you open it up... The first page is like the um it has this like little pattern like colored pattern on it and like I don't know what this I'm sure if people in publishing have a term for this, but this is like when I opened this I was like, Oh, this is like old books. Yeah. Like I don't it's know just, it's just pretty and sweet and I, I don't know. It just it's really good. Um last thing I'll say is as a kid, like when I was gonna read a book I didn't love princess books. I, I liked Disney princess movies, but, like, I wasn't going to read a fantasy book. And then I ended up loving Harry Potter, and that kind of changed everything. No but, princesses in Harry Potter, though. But but you know what I mean. Like, fantasy in general wasn't my chosen genre. Um, but I really liked this book. And I feel like it's trying to be a fairy tale, but say a lot more than your typical fairy tale would. Um, but maybe I've just seen too many Disney movies that don't go super in depth when it comes to complicated themes. I don't know, but I just I think it's I think this is more than just a fairy tale. But she does the fairy tale well. I don't think it's more or less complicated than fairy tales, um, but it's it's more modern than fairy tales <laughs> yes. tend to be. Like one of the things people talk about with fairy tales um, is like when you read like when you read someone like from the like the Brothers Grimm or Charles Perrault or like you know there's all sorts of people that like are we attribute fairy tales to yep. but those people aren't actually telling fairy tales like or like inventing those fairy tales most of them were anthropologists um mm-hmm. or folklorists or things like that who were writing down um versions of stories that they heard or studied uh, particularly the Brothers Grimm but the reason why those stories are different from one another um even though, like, for instance, there are versions of Cinderella throughout, like, Europe and things like that, that different folklorists write down, is that uh, a lot of times they tend to uh, accumulate the kind of moral or ethical frameworks of, like, the societies that they're in. Uh, and sometimes this is because the folklorists impose them on them. Like, um, Charles Pro is kind of notorious for having written, like, morals at the end of every fairy tale. And those morals are always doing a lot of work to tie this back into very conventional uh at the time like french morality you know and so like you know um uh i so i think that like you know there's always a lot like struck like uh like thematically going on in fairy tales because a lot of times they are reflections of and, and are intended to be by the folklorist to be reflections of like the social mores of their time and i think that this is we don't really use that storytelling structure as much anymore like we don't really we we consider fairy tales like now to maybe this is like not true but in my opinion like what people consider to be fairy tales are there's certain like genre characteristics like yeah I have a dragon or a princess or whatever and we don't really tell stories in the mode of fairy tales anymore uh, meaning like the particular storytelling title t- mm-hmm. uh, style but this story and there's like a few other kinds of stories that are like intentionally like evoking that you know and so this is evoking very much like the kind of like 
19th century like um, fairy tales people would tell, uh, particularly like Victorian, because when you look at like the Brothers Grimm, like those are very grotesque, and but the Victorian style was less so and like more prim and clean, and I that's that anyway. That was a long answer to, uh, or a long response. <laughs> Tell us what you didn't like, Michael. I mean, I like this book a lot. Um, it was good. And so all of this is, I don't really know if it would have been a better book had these things been addressed. Um, but that said, I think that like, as I mentioned, one of the things I liked is like the economy of it and like how you mentioned too, like how all the details add up and that's very nice. But because it's, a fairly short book and it's pretty compact in the amount of time that it tells. Um, there's a lot of shorthand uh, with the characterization <clears throat> and some of that works. Like I don't think we need a lot more for the, from the queen or anything like that or the king, mm-hmm. but then some of it doesn't, it ends up making these characters never quite transcend their, um, like their, their kind of like the kind of like half joking way that they're introduced. Um, like, for instance, um, Mig is a character that I think has a lot going on for her. But she's introduced at the beginning of the story as, like, almost like a Cinderella-type character. But, like, yeah. a Cinderella-type character without any aspirations of being particularly pious. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just kind of... things. Terrible things have happened to her, and all she wants is just for terrible things not to happen to her. And right. And she wants like her a, mom. She just wants it's, her mom. Right, and there's very sweet and meaningful things that happen with her, but she never quite get out, getting out of that. She's like Cinderella, but kind of Forrest Gumpy, you know? Yes, like, yes. I, and, and That's a good description. Like, she, she's always kind of... The book isn't mean about it, but she is always kind of a joke character. I think the book's mean about it. Do you think? I think it is a little bit, which is one of my... The book also cares for her. Maybe that's what I mean. The book does. Anyway. Like, for instance, she can't hear because she is constantly being smacked on the ear. Yeah, being beaten. And throughout the book, there's like this little... And then she gets to the castle and the, the cook does the same thing to her. Whoever's over her still beats her ears. Right, and so, like, that's obviously horrible. It's very fitting of, like, the fairy tale storytelling to have, like, an abused child and whatever. Um, and so, like, it makes sense the way that the story does it. But, like, and like through the end of the story, they're making, like, little, like, raya sides about how she can't hear anything. And, like, it never gets to the point where someone's like, I'm sorry that your ears have been damaged by abusive adults. And that would not be in the mode of the story. So right. like I'm saying, I'm not sure if it would make for a better book for someone to actually like meaningfully care about the abuse that she's gone through. But it's weird. It's, I don't know. Like, it's not that I hate it, but it feels like a shortcoming of the book that it can't figure out a way to make her seem just a little bit more... Um, give her a little bit more depth in terms of our relationship to her. Yes. Like, we we care about her, but she's also, you know, she's she's simple and yes. and kind of silly because she can't always hear things, so she's always mishearing or having to repeat things, and I don't know. that. And, and so, like, that's just one example, and there's a couple different examples for that. I'm not sure 100% of the rats work. Like, of the three main characters, Roscuro is the one that I understand the least, um, like I get, he wants light and then he's treated very poorly when he goes to the light. And so he's like, I gotta make it terrible for everybody. Like, I understand that. And it's kind of implied that that's the 
what all rats like that's why all rats are like that is that they're rejected by the upper world but like in terms of I don't really understand and and this may also be how I read the book I read about the book in just a few sittings and I read the first half of it basically one day and then I didn't finish reading it until a few days later and so I had kind of this gap and so maybe this is partially me forgetting but I ha- I once he started like his plan for revenge for the princess it felt a little it felt like it wasn't 100% explained what his plan was yeah. until we got into it and then by that time I was like wait are you or are you not like what are you going to do with this princess like I I never quite understood like what his revenge was except that he just wanted to put her in the dungeon I think like it was, she was just going to die down there like everybody else does in the dungeon which I have a major problem with which I'm going to get to in a minute but yeah I don't know. Um, I just didn't feel like like his character is kind of the linchpin, like connection between the the world of like the underworld of the castle and then the overworld of the castle. Like he is rejected completely by mm-hmm. that, um, and he is kind of a vic- uh, he's kind of a product of his environment, and that's what makes him so nasty. And yeah. like I get all that. It just. I'm not sure if I'm quite connecting all the dots, and maybe that's me, but maybe it's also just the fact that the book is. It's kind of taking shortcuts when yeah. describing him. Yeah, I I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to hear what you dislike because maybe that well connects. Some of this is not just dislikes, but things I just need to unpack. <laughs> like okay. I, yeah, there's a lot. As you mentioned, so lots this, to unpack. So this dungeon. My understanding is that people just get put in there for whatever. Like Mig's dad is down there for what stealing a horse or something. I don't remember. He stole something. And so he's put down there. And I'm just like, they don't feed them because the only person they feed is Gregory. So they literally just put people down there to rot because they talk all the time about how there's skeletons down there, skeletons Mm -hmm. of people. And that if you're not tied to a rope, you just get lost in the maze of the dungeon and you die. Like servants have gone down there and died. Knights go down there to search for the princess and die. So I'm just like... Also, y'all they die really quickly. <laughs> y'all literally just putting people down there, like, for, to just starve and die in the darkness. And poor Gregory, that's his job, is to be down there all the time. And I was just really worried about his quality of life and his work-life well, balance. His quality of life gets very had, bad because he no, dies. And then, <laughs> yes, so I just, like, I, I'm just like, is this really what, what we're expected to to understand, which obviously it's like you said, it's a fantastical story. Where it is this, very funny, where though, like the the evil of people is so evil and ugly. But it's just like that's just what happens. It is very funny though, because like a lot of um, a lot of like especially Victorian fairy tales are kind of like uh, they kind of apologize for the status quo. You know, they're kind of like upholding the current like social order. Um, but it's funny that this book kind of does that, right? It's not like the monarchy is overthrown or yeah. anything like that. It's not like Mig gets to actually be a princess by the end of the story. I have a question in my notes. It's like, is this book kind of classist? Like, that's one of my I mean, maybe. Questions. But it, what's funny but about it... But it's supposed to be, right? I think so. And, and But what's funny about it is it presents the social order as it is. It doesn't really try to meaningfully change the social order, but it also presents the social order as, like, abjectly terrible. Like, But then Gregory's... Okay. I just don't know what Gregory's job is. Because if you just have prisoners down there, is he supposed to take care of them? Because here's the thing. Mick's dad is still alive because he's released at the end. So I just... 
maybe I'm not supposed to think this much about these things, and maybe. I don't think you're supposed to, but it's I'm just like, tale, so. I know, but I just, it was like, Lord help us, it, it was is. extreme. But anyway, um, also, there is no reason for Gregory's death. There's no point in him having to die. Like, Roscuro could have done that whole plan without Gregory being... I don't understand I'm gonna come back why to, Gregory is dead. I'm going to come back to the form of the like the genre again. Like, fairy tales are just very cavalier okay. with death. Well, I don't know if that's a justification I for it. I love Gregory, and I wanted him to get a better job. Gregory is very sweet. And I was sad when he died. And I just... that You know, I said all the details built on... And maybe it was important because... He would have seen Princess P come down there and then would have told the knights. I guess that's the point. I they think would have maybe... Told. I'm not sure. I do like Gregory as a character. I think he's very... Like, he's the one who introduces a lot of things to the characters. Right. Like, he... Like, all of the characters interact with Gregory and that's where they kind of meet each other, right? That's yeah. where Roscuro meets Mig and all that sort of stuff. And... I don't know. He's a sweet... He's a sweet guy. I... I was sad to see him go. I was sad to see him go too because it just happens so abruptly. Like, yes. also, I do, I do wonder if they're just lost in the labyrinth. Like, why did they die so quickly? Like, he's the the entire arc of the story. You know, not counting flashbacks, takes place over like what seems like a few days. He wouldn't be dead yet, well, but he's just dead. I don't know. Sense of time is is really kind of wacky in it too. Anyway. Um, I agree with everything you said about Mig, and I, I know our friend Beth, um, not your mom, but I, our friend Beth is probably listening to this podcast, and if you listen to this, Beth, I could not get your voice out of my head when you were like, it's just kind of weird how they always make Mig say gore. Do you remember? And I had forgotten that until, the only until time, Beth said that in that rehab, and I was like, why do they do that? I don't know. <laughs> the only time, I think it's like a slang thing, right? I think it's... Is it? The is only it other time... Like, oh. The only other time I've ever run across that is in the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you remember in A Horse and His Boy how there's like a Prince and the Pauper type situation in which um is the hold on, I'm I may be mixing up details. But there and is you would know Narnia better. Yeah, but now I'm maybe it is in the Chronicles of Narnia, but there is like a character who is like also kind of like working class, like Kind of yeah. rough around the edges, and he's always saying "gore." I wonder yeah. if, like, is that like a? I don't know. Is that a? Is it a UK thing? Maybe, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe, but I I love Mig. I love her so much, and I you know I agree with everything you said about the form. Um, but she becomes more and more of a caricature. Like, there's this one part where it's like she um, she gets to the castle, and for once, she's allowed to eat all that she wants and she gets really fat and it's just like I don't that detail is unnecessary like it just makes her look more of like an unflattering caricature and I just I don't really yeah. see the point I wonder of if that. she had been malnourished before and then like that's meant to say that she's like healthy now or something but if you look at the illustrations oh, like she, just, she just looks ridiculous like yeah, she's and so I, I don't it's little things like that like I don't really know what I, I wish I wish Mig um, was portrayed a little bit differently, I guess. But I agree with you. I don't know if that would have made it a better book. I think that's just like part of the genre. That's not right. My and the, like the flavor of this book is this very like bright, colorful, like broadly sketched yeah. story. And that's like 
what makes it fun and interesting to read is that you move through it so quickly, and they're always introducing these new things. I mean, you mentioned you like hearing, you liking Harry Potter, and that's something that J.K. Rowling does she like does. really well. Actually, is to fill her world with these really bright and broadly char- characterized people who, or, or Dickens, like like uh-huh. uh, Charles Dickens does this as well. Like you just have these kind of like faintly ridiculous characters that are fun and interesting to read, even though they're not particularly like realistic or complex or anything like that. Yeah, but. Yeah. The other thing I want to say about the dungeon, I'm sorry, I keep coming back to the dungeon. It's, it is horrifying. It is horrifying, but there's also, this is what I kind of mentioned before, and this is the last thing that I'll say in terms of, like, critique, but there's this underlying theme about, um, like, freedom versus captivity, like, especially in Mig's story. Like, she, you know, is sold into slavery, and then she's given to the castle as a servant and she's still being abused there and she doesn't really have autonomy. She's, you know, her physical needs are met for the most part, even though they're like, here, you can go down the dungeon. Other girls have died. So good luck, you know, but still there's like, I definitely think that she's trying to say something there about like, what is true freedom? What is agency? Um, and I think in Gregory's story too, like, I think there's some of that, um, but that's one thing that I don't really feel is unpacked at all. You just kind of, like, read between the lines. And, you know, I yeah. don't know. That's one thing that I, I wish that we had, like, more to say about that. But Despero, it, it makes a point of saying at multiple points that Despero's mother is French. And, like, Despero's mother is the one who's more permissive about, like, his kind of, like, atypical interests, you know. And, like, I think there's the sort of, that reputation of the French as being, like, more libertine or whatever, like, kind of, as far as I understand, like, comes out of, like, the French Revolution, right? Like, this idea that, like, well, the French were, like, the first European country to truly, like, have a, you know, do away with the monarchy and, like, all this sort of stuff and, like, be, you know, embrace, you know, kind of this modern conception of freedom, at least for a little while. And, like, I wonder if that, that's kind of, like, underlying a lot of this, too, is that, like, there is this very, very rigid, like, social hierarchy. And within the, like, on a macro level where, like, the rats are at the bottom and the humans are at the top, but also on, like, a micro level where within the the different strata of society, like, within the mouse subculture, within, like, the, the rat subculture, there are, like, patterns of behavior that you must follow. There are, like, very rigid, like, authoritarian, um, like things like I don't know what this mouse council is, but it sounds like their only job is if a mouse steps out of line, they go to the dungeon, um, which is like basically what the dungeon serves for the humans too, yes. you know. Um, and like there is the book doesn't like the book is not revolutionary in like that French way, right? We don't we don't get guillotined, uh, you know, aristocrats or anything like that. But monarchy is. Um... Is still standing. Yeah, in fact, it's very, (laughs) it's very bitter. Uh, I don't know if it's intended to be a bitter irony or not, but it is a bitter irony that the whole book, uh, Mig wants to be a princess, and at the end of the book, she's happy because her father just treats her like a princess. And it's like, I understand that that's meaningful for Meg, but also like, there's this kind of carnival esque thing where like you're supposed to have this topsy turvy role where the princess is now in the dungeon and the person who's in the dungeon is. And that never really happens. And I did like that part of her dad and her it is reuniting because, like, when sweet. you hear her dad's story at the beginning, he is not only in prison in this terrible dungeon, but he has 
like his soul is just crushed at what he has done with his daughter. Like he's truly grieved by it. And so that that thing with, with him and Mig and then Despero and his dad, I liked both of those little subplots, even though we don't get a lot of that. I think that they're really good. Right. It is it is it is good and um again it's like befitting of the genre not to like truly challenge like yeah. the social hierarchy. But I do think that like there is a persistent uh like even if it's mild, there's a persistent critique of that social hierarchy, you know, where the the things that are making these characters miserable are all kind of coming from the fact that there is this hierarchy, right? Like the rats, or, or Roscuro, right? Um, him, his his um, identity as a rat, or his species as a rat, you know, whatever. His his the fact that he is a rat dooms him to be at the bottom of this hierarchy, mm-hmm. no matter whether or not he wants to be there or not. Um, and by the end of the book, he is given like just a small element of freedom that is outside of that hierarchy. And I think that happens for all the characters. I don't know. Yeah. This is a great book. It is good, yeah. As I'm glad that we are still on the same page about this. Because like I said, we didn't talk about We've not yet whether got you the liked book it or where not. we diverge in opinion. No. But that's, I'm okay with that. We'll see. It'll be a big, but big event in this household. Dear reader, read this book. Read more of Kate DeCamelo's book. She's wonderful. We will you read at least read one more. more of hers. Yeah, and I've not read Flora and Ulysses, but I, I also want to reread Tiger Rising. She's just wonderful. She also, um, had I've discovered this from picking up a book from my goddaughter for Christmas, but she has a new little children's series out, I don't know how new it is, about this pig named Mercy, and I just love pigs, and I'm excited about it. So, anyway, she's just great. I love Kate DiCamelo, is the conclusion. Well, as I said, this is my first book by her, and I'm looking forward to reading more. Um, So, any last thoughts on Despero? No. I want to watch a movie. Um just to see what it's like. And we'll have to decide if you think Jarvis can handle it or not. We'll see. It might be too big. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, um, no, I don't have anything else. Yeah, me neither. Um, all right, so that brings the end of this conversation. Uh, our next book, we're in the 2010s now. Yes. Um, we're, Rebecca said with the kind of foreboding uh, earlier, we're almost at the point where we have to go back to the 1920s. <laughs> and I don't think we'll have to do anything Two quite more as... books until then. Yeah, I don't think we'll have to do anything quite as uh, onerous as the story of mankind again, but... Uh, we are intrigued by a gay neck story of a pigeon, so we'll see. Yeah. But next time, we're reading the 2012 winner, Dead End Norvelt, by Jack Gantos, which we know absolutely nothing about. Rebecca the told me... or the novelist. Rebecca told me to pick one, and I looked over the 2010s and realized I do not know anything about any of these books. Um, and so... I don't know what types of books these are. I don't know. Anyway, we're in complete uncharted territory. Um, So I guess we'll see next time what that's about. Um, So, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, Remember, if you have any thoughts for us, you can reach us at newburychronicles at gmail.com. I I do just want to give a final plug. If you're a Knoxville resident, um, the Lawson McGee Library has a pretty cool display of the Newberry books, and they have, um, if you just want to follow along with what, books one each year and each decade they have this beautiful list with a checkbox that you can get and um you got it we got it uh, just a reminder to go to your library they're just great people there and it's a great place yeah support support your local library 
pick up a checklist. Mm -hmm. um, and they even have a poster board of like, how many new berries have you read? Which that's for children, <laughs> not for us. But anyway. We don't get the poster board? I don't know. I haven't talked with Miss Carol about what all that's about. So we'll see it. I the think next we need, story we need the poster board. Yeah, I'll tell her to um, like link our podcast. Yeah, maybe section. we can get uh, maybe we can get the Lost McGee Library to start promoting our podcast Sponsor and get us. some good listener base. <laughs> not that our current listeners aren't good, but anyway. there's not that many of them. Um, yeah, so that's it. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye bye.